0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: It's the True Faith Newcastle United podcast. Newcastle beat Chelsea by four goals to one at St. James's Park on Saturday afternoon, and it was absolutely brilliant. I'm Alex. I have sigh. Charlotte and Stephen Ord here with me today to talk to you about what happened and why. A couple of notices from me who are on Patreon, you probably know already, you should come and join us if you're not already with us. Loads to talk about from this one, loads more to talk about this fixture as we build up to PSG and Manchester United this week. We also have a live podcast at the Stands Comedy Club in Newcastle, Tuesday the 5th of December Come and join us. There's Charlotte and I, there's Keith Downey, there's Craig Hope, Luke Edwards, Mark Douglas. It's gonna be a great night. Loads of tickets already sold, so get them while you can. Would love to see you there. But let's talk today, friends, about Newcastle beating Chelsea four one. And I wanna start off. I wanna start off today and talk about the unbelievable feeling of not just battering a team like Chelsea with their wealth, with their recent good form, but the fact that Chelsea turned up yesterday at Newcastle United in the smell of blood, they think 11 1st team injuries, they think these lads were really poor against Bournemouth, I think. PSG on Tuesday, will they be distracted? And if I'm in that away end, you're thinking this is the day. We couldn't play them at a better time. And I have felt like that so many times over the years. I've gone away from home. I've thought, yeah, they're better than us, but we can beat them today. What a great time to play them. And then they just beat you anyway. And they beat you comfortably. And it, that, to me, is the sign of a really, really good side. Doesn't matter. Three goalkeepers in the bench, fine. Kids on the bench, kids in the team, fine. Alexander Risak, is he fit? Yes, he is. He scores. He's brilliant. It's just, to me, it's just the sign of a good, good team and a good team we are. And it was a great day, Charlotte. What did you make of it?
2: Yeah, it was absolutely brilliant. I am 100% guilty of looking at that team sheet and thinking, yeah, there's enough quality there, but... If we need to use the bench, if we if something goes wrong on the pitch, I'm I'm not confident. Chelsea going into the international break were starting to find a bit of form after a, a sort of middling start to the season. And I just sort of thought you know, if we come away from this one without injuries, with a point, I'm gonna be pretty happy. I think that's okay. And then and then they just Chelsea just did not come out of the blocks um with any kind of intent. I, I didn't think. I, I thought they were they, they were terrible yesterday. We were mint, but they were terrible. And um and I just, you know, you you start to that that sort of feeling starts to rise in you watching the game. Um, oh my god, we might actually beat these we, with, with this squad with 11 first team injuries. And and I think it's it's both the manner of defeat for them and the, uh, so the manner of our win is probably a better way of saying that. And then also sort of what it means for us going into the next few games. Um, I just I, it feels it feels brilliant. I think there's a lot to kind of praise the team for, and I'm sure we'll get into that. Praise Eddie Howe and and um, Mad Dog for. But it was it was such a great feeling in the ground yesterday at two one up, not not just four one up. It was it was. Brilliant, so I'm buzzing.
3: Thoughts, Stephen? Well, it wasn't 2-1 for very long (laughs) because Itiago Silva helped us make it 3-1 very quickly afterwards. Um, I just... At half time, I'll be honest, I thought it was fairly even, like the Pope had made a good say from Enzo, Joe Linton, somehow missed that header at the back, mm. like, a, yeah, but we'll get into that probably later. It's more skill um, to miss it. Yeah, then. but at the same time, the difference in the second half from the first half was absolutely, like clearly they'd had a word and said, look, if you put a bit of pressure on these and turn them, they're, they're worried, they're ragged, and Pace is going to get in behind them, whereas we were worried in the first half about Pace getting in behind us, certainly when Sterling got away. Um, I thought the ground was really, really good, particularly because the referee was inept. Um, And I think that nothing (laughs) rises, makes St James's part riled up better than an injustice. Um, I don't know how Jackson wasn't booked for diving for the one that went out in the corner, Mm. in the opposite Mm. corner to where I sit. Um, I thought he was really, really poor. I thought he let Chelsea get away with a lot. Um, and then Newcastle's atmosphere went up and once the atmosphere goes up, I think we can beat anybody. I don't think it matters. Manchester City, Paris Saint-Germain, we've shown it so far this season. When the crowd's behind them and the noise, the noise level starts to rise, teams don't want to live with us. And the intensity comes up from the players and Matt Ritchie was first sub off the bench, I think, today. And i was like, that was a worry. Like, that was a real worry, but I shouldn't have worried because Eddie knows what to do with him. Just say to him, right, just run forward 10 yards and pass it back to Trips and he'll do something <laughs> with it.
1: I, I, I agree with you, but I think it's it's not just yesterday. There is a theme against good sides at home. And I'll take you back to um, to Manchester United at home last season as well. Whereas we're often the better side or, or in the game, at least in the first half. I think about Man City at home this season. I think about Arsenal at home. Even PSG to an extent where we'll go in 2 0 and you think they're going to come back. After half time in all these games, between kind of minutes 50 and 65, teams can't handle us. That, yeah. that is our time. And we did the same yesterday. Like, you said off airside, I think Chelsea probably half time one one thinking we can we can win this. Mm-hmm. They win thinking that after sixty five yesterday, we are just so good at raising the level of our game to a level that teams just can't match intensity wise, they just can't match it. And really interesting from, for me in 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 the Arsenal game in this game, which is the last two home league games, is the other team have had way more options off the bench, but we've got better as a game has gone on and they've got worse, despite our limited options on the bench and it's just kind of i don't know i don't know what they're they're doing or saying at half time but it's almost like first half is boxing gloves on second half it's like right we're just going to beat you know and we did it again yesterday and it's a clear thing like i said manchester united at home was the same last season where straight after half time or, or close to after half time Willick scores and teams just can't they, they can't come back for it and it's almost like once we once we go ahead in the second half first half not so much um the game is just over and even before the red card yesterday the game just felt over so i thought
4: yeah, I think I think Charlotte can be forgiven uh, because I certainly Thank thought you. before the game when I saw the lineup, I thought this is going to be tough. I would I was taking a draw uh, before the, before a ball was kicked. Uh, you know, Isaac just coming back. You never know if you are going to get fully fit. Isaac or if it's going to take him a little bit of time to get to get match fit to look to look sharp. Um, and Lewis Miley again, I, I probably underestimated him to be fair. But Lewis Miley up against Enzo Fernandez, you know, one of the World Cup stars. You just think, oh, this is going to be a tough day out. We'll take a draw now, go into PSG, and then we'll beat Man U next week. Um, which would have been an absolutely fine week, obviously. But um, yeah, how wrong was I? And yeah, the, the weird thing about the um, the second half kind of uh, theme there, Dodds, is that it just didn't look like the sort of game where that was going to happen with the bench we had, with the three keepers, with Dummett and Ritchie being the only senior players, and then four kids, some of whom I've never heard of and can't pronounce their names. Um, it really is a kind of, how did we pull that together in the second half? But I suppose that shows you what the international break has done for us a bit of a break, a bit of a chance to prepare for the game and come up with a game plan. This is what happens when Eddie Howe gets gets time to prepare the team. Unlike he did at Bournemouth where they've flown back from Germany, gone to the south coast, two days to prepare. We saw what happens when he plays a knackered as well. This is the polar opposite. When we've got a bit of time to, to get our shit together, it was incredible and we should never have doubted that we could put that Chelsea team to bed.
1: And it's a really important win in terms of the, the weekend as well, because you've got some people might not like me mentioning these teams, but I still think we are as good as them on our day with players fit. But Liverpool and Manchester City play each other and drop and both drop points. Spurs and Villa play each other today, and one of them will drop points at least. So it's really important to kind of, at least until the second half of the season, until January, until we get some players back, keep in touch with the teams above us, in particularly in terms of Champions League qualification and that hopefully top five just, just winning yesterday when it mattered was such was so important. I just think I've got so much time and respect for for teams that that are great when they shouldn't be. And you know, Joe Willock, that's a massive blow. You know, mm-hmm. one thing, one thing that I was taking in yesterday was Willock's great. He's, he's brilliant. He's going to be back. He's had two weeks training. would we, well, he's out, and he could be out a long time. And again, to roll with that punch uh, and and come out like they did against a team. And there's one thing I I um, noticed over the weekend the Coverage of this game in the national media was almost like, A, it wasn't happening, but B, it was a foregone conclusion that Chelsea would just turn up and win. That that was the confidence going to this. Chelsea, everyone enjoyed watching, not, not us or you people listening or watching, but you know the the national mood, loved watching them play against Spurs and Man City. Two great games. Oh, who's going to stop them? They can't stop scoring. Well, yesterday, um, apart from Sterling's free kick and apart from one counter-attack that produced a brilliant save from Nick Pope, mm-hmm. Once again a team has come to St James's Park with hundreds of millions of pounds of attacking talent and hasn't looked like scoring. And that's just so satisfying, Charlotte.
2: I would rather the media does that. Like I would rather the media talks up our opponent, barely talks about us. I think I think that gets into players' heads. I think it gets into Eddie Howe's head. You and I were saying, I think on Match Day podcast, on the match day podcast, um, that Eddie Howe likes being the underdog. He likes being the one that people don't expect to win. He likes to kind of prove a point, and he had a point to prove after Dortmund and Bournemouth, um, even though you know he can be forgiven for the massive amount of injuries, etc. Um, let them, let the like, let the press talk up PSG. Let the press talk up Manu. I, I, I like that we are kind of go under the radar, do our thing, and then just produce massive performances. Obviously, the performances are going to feed into the media and, and it's not going to happen that way, but I'm, I'm all for it. I think let us just kind of get on with it quietly.
3: I think one of the things is interesting is that Sky yesterday had as a, t- a tagline, injury ravaged Newcastle, then Chelsea's start or something, or then Chelsea's hopes, whatever. And it was almost like, oh, well, like they obviously presumed Chelsea were going to turn up and beat us as well. Yeah. Like Everyone must have presumed Chelsea were going to turn and beat us. Like you say, I was probably thinking at half-time, well, it's 1-1, it's pretty even. If we get a draw from this, that's a pretty good result, given the squad we got out. And I, and I
1: perceived... wasn't, you know. I wasn't. Thi- well, not... you're always right. No, <laughs> true. That no, is true, and Steven doesn't have that privilege. But <laughs> the, I, I, my My, f- at it. my, my, at my it. feeling at half-time, sorry, my feeling yeah. at half-time was, fuck, we've, 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 we've gifted them. We've gifted them mm. an avenue back into the game that, based on the balance of play... They just didn't deserve. It was it was it was an even game. I'm not trying to say Newcastle should have been ahead at half time though they, they should be. We should just, have. Drillinten, yeah. Drillinten should score, but, you but I just but I just it was one of those things again where I felt like Chelsea had had, had a good half, but still should have been behind, and that's just because we're better than them.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, but the bench and and kind of everything that we've said before, I think there was an element of can we can we see out this game? I thought chances had been wasted. We should have been well ahead. I thought before the Sterling goal as well, we definitely looked like the the, the team who was going to score the next goal as well. Uh, the fact that Sterling scored and then it did get a bit more. Chelsea got a bit more um, confidence and, and grew into the game a bit. And, it, and yet Pope then had to make some great saves after just letting the free kick go in, which we might talk about. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm with Stephen at halftime. I wasn't that confident we were definitely going to win the game. I thought we could, and we'd shown that we were the better side so far. But it was all about how long is that going to last? Are we really going to have to bring on Richie and, and Dummett and the other lads? So yeah, we needed the goals as early as we got them to win the game, and we did. But yeah, fair enough for, for having the confidence and always being right, to be fair. <laughs>
1: we'll leave it there for part one. A um, couple of adverts coming up if you want to listen to this podcast entirely advertisement-free without me even referencing them. Uh, it's £3 a month on our patron
0: tier, Link in the description of the podcast. Back after these. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
1: I think we have to start the analysis of the game talking about our teenage midfield sensation, Lewis Miley. Uh, Stephen, you were really impressed.
3: Yeah, um, I think most people who probably watched Bournemouth on the telly and saw him being shoehorned into a team that was slowly but surely unravelling, like even Miggy couldn't last the first half and then injuries continued to catch up with us and probably saw a guy desperately trying to get on the board, desperately trying to make an impact, but... Clearly, uh, I, I think for the team as a whole, everybody else was absolutely shattered and he was being expected to play the Bruno role, mm. um, which is pretty difficult for anyone to do. There's a reason why Bruno is as good as he is, but to give a guy on his proper first Premier League start, I think it was like mm-hmm. that opportunity to go and do that, it's pretty difficult to... to yeah, so yesterday he went and played that Longstaff role. Now I don't want to upset side by talking about Sean Longstaff in, in a negative way, but you wouldn't have known that Miley was only 17 and just coming into the team to take Longstaff's place. His confidence on the ball was much improved from the pre, uh, two weeks ago. Uh, the pass for Isak for that first goal, to have the vision and the confidence to play that ball on your first Premier League home stop, what, a, like, he must be buzzing this morning because I can not just imagine he's replaying that pass over and over again in his head. Um,
2: Probably on the telly as well, because Eddie Howe makes them all do
3: that. Uh, rewind to watch yeah, it just again. keep watching the game. Right, <laughs> but like... He... <laughs>
4: <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, um, I, I thought he showed a real maturity to his performance. I didn't think he was out. I mean, Sai's already referenced it and I, I did on the instant review with Adam, but the um, the big thing that I said was there was a World Cup winning midfielder on the other side and you wouldn't have known who it was like based on the 90 minutes of that game. You wouldn't have been able to pick that out and tell that to the person who did it. Um, I thought I thought he didn't look out of place. I thought he made our midfield function again, that right-hand side. like Most of our attacks in that first half were kind of being built up by the right and then switched over to the left if they could be. Um, and I just thought, for the first time you're seeing someone come through the academy, probably for the first time since Sean Longstaff, the f- someone who comes through the academy who gets on the ball and then moves it, and he doesn't look, he did not stop at any point, he wasn't like, oh, I've played a really good pass there, I'm just going to stop and watch and like, let better players come in now, he was making the same runs as Longstaff make. he was going inside and outside of Miggy. he was going on the edge of the box, and I really think he's got... He's clearly got an ability to play the Eddie Howe system. That's why he's the one that Howe's looked at. Him and Anderson are the ones that Howe's looked at and gone, they can play in the first team for me. And he's clearly pulled that through.
4: I mean, it's quite obvious what Miley's homework has been for the last two weeks. And that's been, watch all of the footage of Sean Longstaff. There's <laughs> rewind. your model. Uh, yeah, rewind. <laughs> rewind Sean Longstaff. Um, but no, seriously, he probably has been, yeah, you know, a bit of an understudy to to Sean Longstaff to an extent. Um, his game's slightly different. I think he is a bit more positive in terms of passing and then moving quickly. Um, I just thought... I thought he looked so com- comfortable and so confident for for, the, for his age, and that was his first home start, right? Yes, his first time. Home. Home. Um, apart from in the cup, obviously. Uh, the, the the you've got to give Bruno a little bit of credit there for protecting. Him. I thought Bruno and Joe Linton uh, at that midfield actually worked really well. I thought. Um, they were taking all the hits, getting, you know, Bruno as usual, picking up the ball, either finding a way out or getting fouled over and over again and it just kind of, it lets Miley get on with what he needs to do, he gets the ball, he receives it, he looks sort of, it and, you know, he's so confident to take a touch, he doesn't just pop it off really quickly and get rid of it, he does, he doesn't take loads of risks apart from the the the, the goal where I, literally I don't think anyone else sees that pass nah. except him, which is just incredible for someone to be that confident and say, you know what, that's the ball, I'm going to play that pass even Izak looks absolutely shocked to pick up the ball and like, oh god, I'm, I've got a score now I suppose uh, so yeah I can't, I've got I haven't got enough words of praise for Miley but I think the whole midfield uh, complement each other perfectly for for the occasion
2: totally agree with that the um, Miley played against Chelsea in the summer I saw him in America and he, he was it was in the starting lineup for um, for us against Chelsea uh, I think that was the um, Philadelphia game no it was the Atlanta game anyway doesn't matter Um and I remember thinking like like who like if you look at when he was born, we keep saying he's seventeen. He had only just turned seventeen, basically, when we when we threw him into that game in the summer. And yeah, it's the that's the point of that kind of preseason game. See what he's got. But he looked so assured then. I think we talked about it after the game. I, I couldn't believe how sort of mature this just turned seventeen year old was on the ball. And it's the same as yesterday. You're right. He, I think, uh, he had t- twenty one out of his twenty four passes were were completed yesterday. He was. Um, he, he didn't look out of place at all I agree with you that um, he's got an incredible uh, midfield three there to kind of work with or midfield two to, to work with as the third I think what an incredible um, opportunity for him because he could do a lot of that long staff role um, but we talked about it didn't we Alex yesterday about how it sort of shows how much Bruno and Joe Linton do that he could sort of slot well in as well I trip, think, I think, yes, I think trip here and point.
1: Almiron I think Trip, you know, if the players around you, immediately around you, or Bruno trip you an arm around... <laughs> you're going to look good. You're going to look good.
2: Yeah.
4: Imagine Lewis Miley, let's say six, seven years ago, a 10-year-old lad. Someone told him, you're going to make your home um, Premier League debut... With two Brazilian national mid- <laughs> midfielders, Vinícius Newcastle going to beat Chelsea four one. He would have laughed <laughs> all the way out the park. You know
2: what? I think he would have been like, "Yeah, that sounds about right." Because <laughs> I think this—I think this is a focused kid. I think this is a kid who knows what he can do. He no, doesn't seem arrogant. He, he did a video after the game. He—it he, wasn't full of emotion. They're looking after him. And Sam from our podcast um, was in the press area yesterday. They ushered him right through the mix zone. They do not expose him to loads of journalists. They're not trying to get like get in his head in that way. But I think. I think he would have been assured. I think he would have known.
4: I mean, it would have been quite uh, brave to make that call. Yes, we're definitely going to have two Brazilian Nationals in the, in the Newcastle no. team and I'm going to be part of it. But yeah, I, I know what you mean about his, his own it, belief.
2: Believing yeah, yeah. it. Not like, not like, yeah, that's definitely going to happen in the, in that exact way.
3: <laughs> I think probably the thing that leads back to what you said before though is his performance made up for the fact that just before kickoff everyone found out Willock wasn't going to be playing and yeah. Willock was injured. Very true. And when you saw the team, you are like, like a little bit, you were a little bit worried. You, like, I actually thought when people put the team out, the trip would be at left-back and Livermento mm. would be at right-back, but obviously it worked out much better doing it the other way around. But Miley was the one player who looked at in, the, in that 11 and you were like, okay, all right, he's going to have to perform today because we presumed, it was I presumed it going to be Willick, Joe Linton and Bruno in the midfield. Mm-hmm. We didn't miss Joe Willick yesterday. Now, might we miss him against Paris and other games coming up? Yeah, we might. Like He's a, he's a really good footballer. But yesterday, Lewis Miley showed that we didn't miss him against that Chelsea team because he was prepared to do the running. And like you've all said, he's prepared to be looked after. But when it came the time for him to do his job, he did it. Um, and even if it was only that one pass in the game, he can go like that to your highlight reel. I'll tell you what, some highlight reel they
1: <laughs> I really enjoy uh, goals that are scored, which the goal scorer doesn't get any attention. And that yeah. was one where Isak runs away and then immediately turns around and think shit, this is totally <laughs> inappropriate. Where's Miley? Let's give him him all of the love and attention, and all the team run to him. That's a nice a nice moment, and again speaks to a point you make regularly, Charlotte. That this is a a really together team, and everyone just seems to get on really well. And that's why one of the reasons probably why we're so good. Uh, Sai, funnily enough, when when we were talking on WhatsApp yesterday, when we were talking about what we want to talk about this podcast, you picked a player that I did not expect to come. Out of your mouth and onto the screen. Who do you want to talk about?
4: I thought. Is Mickey that right. how you type? Uh, yes, out of my mouth, onto <laughs> <under> the screen. <laughs> uh, I thought Miggy was brilliant, but you've, you've kind of all just alluded to it. There, it's, it's the players around Miley, and it's like the the the, um, the the trio of Bruno, Trippier, and uh, Miggy was particularly potent in the first half. I thought everything came down our right hand side. Yeah. Uh, literally, I don't think Gordon got a touch of the ball until he plays it in for um, to Miley ahead of the goal. Yeah. Um, other than that, Gordon's very quiet, the whole uh, our side, and then everything for Chelsea came down their left, so it was Sterling, so literally all on, on your side of the pitch in this drawby corner, nice feet to watch. Um, the, uh, the the trio there, and Miley as well was involved in this, there was just so many passing triangles, so many one-touch passes that there, yeah. um just did know not know what to do, he did not know what to do, he was panicking, he was all over the place, he found himself playing Isaac side for the goal, because he just lost. And I thought Miggy just gave him a really torrid time. I thought his running was excellent, his um, endeavour. He was picking up the ball, running at the defender as well. You know, he's running with the ball. Um, He wasn't just kind of turning back, going on his left and and playing an easy pass, which he can be guilty of doing at times. I just thought Miggy was really, really threatening, especially in the first half. But as the game went on, you got the usual thing from him of at 80 minutes when some of the lads are looking tired, he does not look tired. He's still running the channels. He's still back and forward across the front line. There was... Um, it might be for the um, Gordon but yeah, he's actually over on the left-hand side, isn't yeah. he? And the ball's unbelievable. The ball's perfect. Um, and yeah, I just I just thought Miggy deserved some praise because no one else had mentioned him more than anything. But I, I, he's honestly my man of the match. He was involved in everything positive and he did his job perfectly. It, it
3: didn't make the highlights, but when he was substituted, the whole of the East yeah. stand, then round the strawberry corner, then the Gallagher, like was a stand ovation from him as he walked round the back of the... He did have a really good game. I actually worried in the first 10 minutes that he wasn't fully fit. Because he kept like grabbing towards that same leg that he'd injured against Bournemouth. And I was like, Oh, please don't tell me we're gonna risk him for sixty, seventy minutes here and he's gonna collapse in a heap. Um but actually where we saw like his his big influence was when he could go both sides, when he could make the run to make space for people. Cucurella is not uh Cuccarello Sideshow Bob, whatever he's called. <laughs> um he uh he, he couldn't he couldn't live with Mickey once Mickey started to come inside. The one time he could was he, he was happy to show on down this outside, which we know that's Miggy's big problem. But you can't afford to do that when Kevin Trippier is going to overlap mm-hmm. yeah. or underlap or whichever way he's going to go. It doesn't really matter. If Trippier goes beyond him, all of a sudden the left back's got a massive issue. And when Miley made that run or when Bruno made that run, he's still got a big issue. And that allowed Miggy a bit more space to come inside. And he's adapted his role really, really well. I do think, well, I said it at the start of the season, I thought the ultimate aim was to have Barnes, Isak Gordon as our front three across that line but you'd be hard pressed to take Miggy out of the team like even if Barnes was fully fit and you'd be hard pressed to take Miggy out of the team at the minute because the performances have been really really good and his impact is well it's there for tea and the game's like today. that ball for Gordon for the fourth goal was excellent
1: Yeah I'll touch on, on Gordon quickly actually myself and his statistics are becoming a little bit silly it's 12, <laughs> yeah. 12 league starts or 12 games one of the two I think it's 12 games because he came on against Sheffield United uh, five goals, three assists. They, they are, they're the kind of of stats that push players of his age to be worth closer to hundred million than forty-five million. It's already looking like an obscene bit of business for Newcastle to go out and get him, despite all the criticism at the time from Everton fans, national media, and some Newcastle fans because of Gordon's six months at the club. Uh, what a what a vindication for whoever whoever was the brains, whether it's Howell, whether it's Ashworth and other people at the club, complete vindication. And this is the great thing about Gordon. And I think this is what separates great players from good players. And Gordon still has a bit to go before he's a great footballer. But I think his form and performances so far have led him to at least be on the path is that, like you said, Sai, they still contribute when they're having a quiet game. Mm -hmm. So yes, I mean, Gordon had a good second half, but it wasn't like that was a game he saw loads of the ball. And yet he's put the ball in for the Jamal Hassell's goal and he scored. And it's almost like if you're if you're a player who can have that level of contribution on your off days, that's what great players do. You almost don't notice them, and then they do something incredibly consequential. And that's probably the most pleasing thing about Gordon for me. If it was just kind of one week on, one week off, one week he gets lots of the ball, one week he doesn't, and sometimes he performs, sometimes he doesn't, it would be great. But we're getting more than that. And when we've analyzed on this podcast, maybe since how got here and particularly since the end of twenty one, twenty two one thing that Newcastle have probably needed under Howe to progress each season is more goals. So you look at what mm. we did last season defensively, we could not have been more perfect almost. We needed to score more. We are. We are doing that this season. We are scoring more goals this season. And the only way you can score more goals is demanding more from your front three in particular. And we went into the first game of the season with Gordon having had a very good pre-season. But it still wasn't guaranteed he was going to start the first game against Villa. Um, there's just no way he doesn't play now. He's
4: He's in the team we're definitely scoring more goals because just before we started recording, I went onto YouTube and typed in Newcastle 4-1 and all the suggestions that come up now from the last six months, I got PSG, <laughs> I got uh, Everton, I got, um, who did we just beat 4-1 recently? Anyway, I got three three options. I should have written them down. Um, but yeah, we, we, we're starting to, starting to score goals. But I thought... Um, yeah, in terms of other players yesterday, it was a little story of many redemptions, wasn't it? There was a Nick Pope who I was very frustrated at for the for the, the free kick. I really, yeah. you know, in real time, it was quite. It was a good shot, and he's done very well to get that kind of nice dip on it, Sterling. But Pope should at least dive or do something make it look like you're trying. I, I just hate to see a keeper just bizarre. watch it go in. It was, yeah. and then when you see it back, it's not even that in the corner. Um, but then he makes an excellent save against Fernandez, and he does a, a, everything else he needs to do later on in the game. Uh, Lascelles. Gives the ball away a couple of times. He goes on some ridiculous marauding runs. I'm not sure what he's playing at. Um, really he, weird. he comes back and what, what he's doing for that header, why why he's the, the most advanced player for that cross. <laughs> don't really understand it either, but it's an excellent header and yeah, redemption for him. Um, and there there are others. Um, Joe, Joe bad Linton, Linton, bad header. Yeah, Joe Linton, terrible header. But then, you know, I so, mean, he, he, he literally just just put the fear in silver yeah, to the yeah, point where he just, it was amazing all like, oh, right have it mate yeah just i am not I don't want I don't want the ball
2: i just love watching Joe Linton i know that we're not going into every player but the the, phys, the physicality with which he plays and dominates other players he just he just makes himself so big it, and and players can't get round him i don't know how he does it. it's like a puffer fish yeah. but not but what was that his first goal of the season and uh, I, th- I think it was
4: because He's missed so many big chances. Um, maybe it, got, it seemed to mean a lot to him anyway because he ran away like beating his chest, going absolutely <laughs> mental at finally getting the goal. I thought he yeah. was going to go full Kitzbayer, I <laughs> thought the <laughs> Hordens were going to get it. Like, I genuinely thought the Hordens were going to get it.
3: Yeah, no, I, I think the LaSalle's, um, the full Lasselles renaissance came when he actually ambled up the right hand side and the whole ground shouted, Shoot! Um, like, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, he gave the ball away for the goal, trying to be a bit more Fabian Chain, a bit more Sven Botman. Um, that's the danger with ourselves Like he still, I know he has played much, much, much better. I think any of us could have imagined when he came yeah. to the team, but he's still not a ball dominant centre-half. You still don't want him carrying the ball 30 yards to be trying to yeah. pass it in. Um, someone I think does need a special mention is Fabian Scheer because if that goal oh, goes in, like forget about PSG, he beats three players and then nearly puts it in and then you think to yourself, that's a centre-half. Like <laughs> I, I, I just think he is head and shoulders now, like, if you consider Steve Bruce deemed him surplus to requirements, if anyone needs... If Steve Bruce is going to get the Republic of Ireland job, which the rumours are, someone needs to put a, t- a re- t- video of that in front of them and say, he said he wasn't very good.
4: <laughs> now that, that should be enough. Can only play in a back three. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Loads
1: more players to discuss, but we'll have to move the show on. We do have the review show out tonight on Patreon where we'll discuss this game in even more depth. So come and join us in there for that. We're going to leave you now with a couple more adverts and back after these... So we're going to do do part three of the show now, and it's it's on a topic that I didn't expect to be recording on today. Uh, and it's a bit of a shame, really, and I'm not trying to hammer uh, the two individuals, the two the two owners of the football club, uh, Murdad Gadusi, Jamie Rubin, about this, because at the end of the day, it's just a comment, it's just a thought, it's just an opinion. Um, but, you know, it's strange to be, and not just on this podcast, but a lot of the discourse, and I think you're going to see some media about it in coming days as well it's strange to be talking about a criticism almost of the fan base when you've won 4-1 in such an important game, in such an important week, in such an important season. But post-game yesterday, for those of you who don't know, um, and Murdad and like a lot of our, well, I said a lot of our owners, like he and, and Ruben and Amanda Stavely on Instagram will often post a, a message of support, particularly for the players and whatever post-game. But this message was like kind a great win, um, um, but we need our we need to make more noise in the stadium, um, which is, you know, it, like, let's face it, it, is a criticism of the support in that in that game. And then Amanda Stavely did an Instagram post later on, uh, which basically said, really appreciate our support. We,
2: we always know you're the 12th man. Yeah.
1: And then that was edited. Yeah. <laughs> this is a real bullshit, isn't it? Like, you know, like edited <laughs> fucking social media posts and stuff like that. Just, I, I want to talk about it. I'm going to get your thoughts, but also just fe- it just feels a bit... I feel a bit low talking about it because I want to talk about the team. But everyone should be talking about the team and their achievement rather than atmosphere in a ground, Charlotte. I
2: think that's the thing. Um, Johnny in our WhatsApp group said, it's one thing to kind of say that or try and G people up before a big game, like mm. before PSG at home or before the Milan game. Yeah. Like, come on, this is massive. Like, this could mean third and we've got in the group or, you know, whatever, wherever yeah, we are. fans end can at. make the difference. Right, either, it, yeah. right. Like, but to do it after a win, like an, an, a comfortable win where we are, you know, 11 players down, we are, um, we came into that game not necessarily expecting to win and we did. I definitely think it's true that up until the first goal there was a kind of stillness in the stadium like certainly where I was the corner was very loud you can always hear the corner but um, where I was there was a kind of stillness and a sort of like "Mm, what's going to happen and I think that is from what we've talked about already which is what is going to happen do we have much expectation for this game but it's the time it's the timing of this post like I don't if you think that, that's perfectly fine. It's perfectly mm. within your rights to think that the stadium wasn't loud enough and you want to to get people going, but why would you post it after? When you... He literally, Murdad, quote, tweeted... The, the team picture to say it. Like, this is a team who are celebrating yeah. a win, you know. Joe Willock's eating his popcorn and everybody's happy about the win. And all these youngsters are in the picture who are never normally in the picture. There's something quite special about that. And then it just it sours it ever so slightly. And, and, and I'm not like disagreeing on the whole with it as a sentiment. I just. So, go ahead.
1: So I I, I think they're allowed, they're allowed to say whatever they want to say. I'm not going to. I Free don't want to. F- yeah, free speech, but I don't want to be here, uh, you know, if, if you're going to accept people having a voice on social media, then they have to have a voice on social media. Yeah. But I think it's, it's kind of difficult to swallow for all the reasons you said in terms of timing and context, but also I was at Milan and I was at Dortmund and both um, atmospheres from their home ends were unbelievable, particularly Milan, to be fair, because they weren't winning. Unbelievable. But it doesn't just happen it happens because the club work with the supporters to create parts of the ground that develop over years of culture and tradition to make a noise and support the team. And then it's kind of club and fans and team working in unison and working in one, we've got a 1600 bit standing section in the Mm -hmm. corner, There's 1600 people. And I'm in that corner and I was in yesterday and I'll come to you, Stephen, on just general thoughts about the atmosphere in a sec, but I just feel like you can't, or you can, but you shouldn't make kind of comments like that without, because you literally own the football club and have a, <laughs> have a say in the way that the club is run without then saying, like, okay, we're gonna we are going to do so, like we as in the owners are going to help this rather yeah. than just saying you should do better. You guys should do better. Well, okay, make the make the Gallagher and safe standing. Give us eight thousand seats where people who want to sing can make a noise. And I guarantee you you'll A fill it and B, you'll get the atmosphere you want, but just kind of like you guys do it organically, because sorry, you couldn't get a ticket yesterday. Charlotte, you, you had a ticket yesterday, but you're in the Melbourne stand. Mm-hmm. Having been to lots and lots of football matches with you two, you both make a lot of noise when you go to the game. Very hard to do it in the Melbourne stand. Very hard to do it if you're not there. <laughs> <laughs> but, but ultimately, you've got, you, you've uh, got a situation. Raucous, by the way. <laughs> you've got a situation where tens of thousands of people want to go who can't. um, and you've also got a situation where loads of people who do go probably do want to make more of a noise but the way that tickets are distributed and organised in terms of the kind of just the makeup of where people go in the ground how they get tickets to the ground having to go into a ballot you might have wanted to go or or anyone listening to this might have been a member yesterday would love to be in the Gallagher yesterday would love to be close to the corner and you're in level 7 or Mm -hmm, you're below the away fans in the leasers and I just feel like as a football club it's absolutely fine like you say Charlotte I agree if that's what they think fine, no problem with it Please do something about it rather than just taking the social media, because that's bullshit, in my opinion.
3: Yeah, well, I don't disagree with any of the last point you've just made there. Um I think if you want to do something bad, there's one way where we could look at it and say maybe they're trying to be a bit clever. Um, our next home game is eight o'clock on a Saturday night against Manchester United. And I can guarantee, no matter what happens, the atmosphere and the noise will be extremely loud for that. So maybe they've been a bit clever about it and gone like, oh, I need to come up. I'm giving them a bit of credit there. But <laughs> a probably lot of credit. They don't deserve. Um I personally think there's a couple of issues with it. First of all, the corners, and I am on these stands, like next to the corner, so it is always loud where we are and there is always singing. Um I thought songs about Rhys James and whether he's as good as his sister or not, and like um, Gareth Southgate's view on uh, Raheem Sterling's abilities <laughs> as a footballer were impromptu songs that came and like created a bit of an atmosphere around the ground. Um Chelsea were singing No Noise from the Saudi boys and 60 seconds later it was 3-1 to the Saudi <laughs> boys. Um, I think the I think the issue. Well, there's a couple of issues. One, there were large space of the ground that when the second half kicks off, and maybe this is why that 50 to 65 minute is important. Mm. There were large space of the ground five minutes into the second half that didn't have people in seats.
4: I wonder how close those seats are to where Merdad sits. Uh, well, some <laughs> of them were,
3: but some of them were also in the, in the leases in the yeah. middle of yeah. the yeah. leases Well, that's on wings, isn't it? Yeah. And you know, if you want, again, Alexis probably comes back. Though, there's going to be certain people who are going to go to the game for a very different experience and to come and have a sing along. They're coming there to be entertained. And they'll make an atmosphere where they'll sing songs when they're winning or when they when they feel it's worth doing it. Um, I don't know. I, I think it's okay. If you own the football club and you want to criticise and you say it wasn't loud enough, okay, that's fine. Um, I've, be, I've been to atmospheres that were a lot, lot, lot quieter <laughs> than that. Um, and, you know, I, I compare this game a little bit to Spurs, actually, you know, at the end of last season where... Um, suddenly when the second one goes in and then the third one's rapidly in behind, there was almost like a a double celebration of the second goal because some people still hadn't sat down all of a sudden it's the third goal. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought from that, the noise went up, Rhys James getting sent off, there's 40,000 people waving at him as he walks towards the sidelines. You know, um, I thought thought it was, I thought the atmosphere was pretty good. Um, As I say, people always get riled up when a referee continues to make really, really poor decisions. I don't know what happened with the mudrick Richie incident where Richie seemed to tackle him. Mudrick squared up to him and then Richie got booked. And again, mm. that fired the crowd up again because they were like, well, hold on. He seems to have kicked off and Matt Ritchie's got booked for it. Like what's happened there? Um, I think probably like you say, we've got to get towards a situation where there's a, not an ultra group because that makes it sound like some fans are better than others or whatever, but in Milan, they
1: do have that. It, um, in, in Milan, they're giving their own village. Yeah, like outside <laughs> the. Conference. I want a weird little Tudor village yeah. covered in graffiti. <laughs> like, I'm not asking. I'm not asking for a Tudor village. I am a Christmas market. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but the. I think the point is there. It's really interrupt you again, Stephen. Sorry, but there's a good point. Is that Milan and other football clubs, but Milan because we were there and we saw it, have to create the circumstances for those fans. I mean, in the, for those of you who weren't there or haven't been to the San Siro, there's a lot of them. You know, you're looking at ten, fifteen thousand 15,000 people, I assume, who, and it's the same in Dortmund, at the Yellow Wall, they're there an hour before the game. But they're, they're there an hour before the game because they they it's their part of the ground, and they've got their little Trudeau village.
2: Okay. <laughs> it sounds
1: ridiculous, probably, to but people it who it don't is. know. But it
2: is, it's like this it's like it's odd-like, well, not odd, it's a like, little piazza thing that they've got, walled piazza, so, but it's it's low walls with kind of thatched-esque roof. So it does look <laughs> like a little old like old-timey house, but it's... It's not, it's big. Full of ultras and flares. Full of, full of ultras and flares. And then, it's, and then it's got really aggressive graffiti all over the walls of it. So it's like, that's incongruous, but all right.
1: But it's their, it's their area, isn't it? Yeah. Which is all designed, you know, I'm sure there's lots of issues with ultras and we're not, we don't want to go down that route. But the, there's a benefit to Milan for having that support. Their team is better because of that support and that culture. And like Stephen says, there's just none of that here. And then yeah. it's not just at Newcastle, there's none of that, but... But everyone stands in the cop and has for years. There are, I mean, the shed end at Chelsea is the same. The Gallagher is just not like that for whatever reason. And it's not like there aren't people in the Gallagher now. Um, and there are probably people in the Gallagher now who don't want that and don't want to move. But ultimately, if you want the best atmosphere possible, because that's the best thing for the team, it's going to take more than 1,600 seats in the corner yeah. where people can. And it's so, it's, you can't get in. You can't get in. You know, it's, it's all season tickets holder, I think, or if there are individual match tickets, they're minimal mm. for members to apply and get. It, the club could just could just do more if the club think it's an issue, and from these tweets, it suggests that they do.
2: Oh, oh. gone, on, go on. I think what frustrated me a lot about the tweets is is, uh, I'm, and I'm going to call it a naivety rather than like any kind of intent. But Twitter is a very divisive place, right? So immediately people jump on that and start blaming people. There's no it it like you say. What would have been so much more constructive is. The atmosphere seemed a bit flat for twenty minutes today. Let like I'm like we're gonna look into this. We're gonna work on how we we fix this. Instead, it's a tweet that says you've got to be better, and then people start pointing fingers. Well, the corporates. Well, this. Well, that. Yeah. And it's like it. You know, yes, those like corporate tickets are less likely to get up and sing. But it's naive of anybody commenting to suggest that AC Milan or Dortmund don't mm. have a massive corporate section. It is about, like, it is about concerted effort and working with the fans to make a good area, to to make some noise.
1: It's a great point. I put a tweet out about this last night, and it's just, there are some good replies, but there's just full of people saying fucking members, international fans. And that just creates loads of division right. and nastiness. And, like, it's just, it's not their fault, the owners' fault that like these people kind of, or whoever points fingers or whoever some people point fingers at them but it's just we just shouldn't be talking about it yeah, now we and last, about, night, we won last night we won 4-1 the team were amazing that that has to be the focus like you say it might be a naivety that they don't understand about how literally people take things or how, how the strength of feeling about access to St yeah. james's park that's just the wrong place wrong time
4: Yeah, I don't wish to labour this point, despite the fact we keep saying we don't want want to be talking about this, but I'll have my say. Um, Yeah, I I want to use the word naive um, to give not so much the benefit of the doubt that it was a clever pre-Man United tactic, Steve. um, Nice of you to think that, Uh, maybe, maybe. Um, I think there's a lot of naivety in what he said. I think um, he doesn't, obviously hasn't been in English football enough to know that a Saturday three o'clock kickoff doesn't get the same kind of atmosphere as an evening game. Mm -hmm. There's lots of contributing factors to that. Um, it's a Saturday in the run-up to Christmas. The city centre, it gets busier and busier at this time of year. It means buses are fuller. It takes longer to get into the city. It takes longer to drive into the city. It takes longer to get parked up. You don't get as many people into the ground as early or, or to the pubs or whatever. Um, I don't know if he's noticed how hard it is to get into the fucking stadium when you've got uh, <laughs> e-ticketing. That's still a problem. You really struggle with that. It does take like 20, 25 minutes. So people who used to have one extra pint and then get to the ground five minutes before kickoff can't do that now. They've got to get there half an hour before. They've got a queue for fucking ages at the uh, stuff inside the ground. Um, that's the same at halftime. So people who go for a, a halftime beer to, to top themselves up or to give them to keep themselves kind of in the in the zone, so to speak, in the, especially in the corner, it takes ages to get a drink. The service is crap. Um, so there's lots of contributing factors. That's why people come out slow at, uh, after half time. Mm. Um, I did comment to you guys that I thought the atmosphere was quite quiet, um, certainly before the first goal. Then after they equalised until we scored again, it was a little bit, a little bit tepid. But there's lots of factors for that. And I just think you should know this stuff. You should know. And I also think that um, as you mentioned, sixteen hundred in the corner. If you're in the millbin stand, you can't always hear that, especially no. if there's uh, noise from the away fans. It doesn't mean it's not happening. It doesn't mean it's not happening. It just means that yeah, they're all concentrating a very small part of the ground and, and the, all your points. Are massively important and I think it's naivety he hasn't really thought about that he doesn't realize that that Saturday three o'clock against a mid-table Chelsea team you know <laughs> um, it's just not quite what he's expecting but he should expect that because no one else was really surprised by it
1: we're going to leave it there yes we're going to leave it there thanks so much to you guys for, for being part of the conversation thanks everyone listening castle are absolutely fucking classic use it again <laughs> that's the main takeaway Despite what we finished the pod on, <laughs> there's going to be a full review of this game tonight and we'll talk about things, or the, those podcasters will talk about things that we haven't. So come and join us on there, on the Patreon platform. It's 3 to £8 a month. Uh, another plug again for our, our, our live show at the stands next Tuesday, the 5th of December. Come and join us. It should be a great See night soon. very soon. And uh, we will be back for you on this podcast after Newcastle United face PSG, which is a massive game on Tuesday night. Speak to you all then. Bye-bye.